there. We're the Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skuzkowsbo. Well, guys, um, before we dive into tonight's preview of uh, Ohio State, just want to put a little context out there. We're recording this uh, the evening of July 9th. Uh, earlier today, it was announced that the Big Ten is going to only conference play, uh, dropping all the non-conference. Um, at this point that we're recording, no uh, schedules have been pl- have been played. Um, so it's entirely possible Northwestern could be playing Ohio State this year. We're just not sure yet. And, you know, obviously when we hear word on what's happening, we'll, we'll remedy that. But you know, as you listen to our, our preview tonight, as you listen to our, our preview on Rutgers or on Indiana, uh, just kind of put in the back of your mind that any one of those could be on the schedule. Um, so just, you know, something, something to keep in mind. Um, with that being said, uh, Ohio State. Coming off another Big Ten championship, I mean, it seems like they're there every year. Ryan Day um, seems to not have missed a step uh, taking over from Urban Meyer. Uh, John, their defense was insane last year, but Chase Young is gone. He's with the Washington team named to be named later. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess the easiest way to frame this relative to all that would be to say that Ohio State blew it. And I don't mean they blew it last season. I'm talking about the 2018 season. Because anyone who watched the Buckeyes last year, it should be totally apparent that in his final season, Urban basically submarined a team that very likely could have won the national title. Uh, Because the book on the Buckeyes in the season when we faced them in the Big Ten Championship game was that they were awesome on offense and pretty mediocre on defense. And if you watched that game, either in the stadium or on TV, you know what we're talking about. Um, So going into last season, we talked about how it was pretty much stunning that a team stacked with that much talent could have been noticeably worse on defense than Northwestern in 2018. Um, And keep in mind, Nick Bosa spent most of the 2019 season hurt which means that in terms of star power, um, the 2018 defense and the 2019 defense were fairly similar, Um, which is interesting since Ohio State rolled out arguably the nation's best defense last year. Uh, This coincided with Meyer leaving, Ryan Day taking over as head coach, Greg Madison and Al Washington arriving from Michigan, and Jeff Halfley arriving from the 49ers to coach the secondary and be uh, an associate defensive coordinator. If you want to make the argument that great culture builds a great defense, and we've been making that argument for pretty much the decade we've been doing this podcast, this would be the cornerstone of that argument. You can even go into the individual position groups and see exactly how the culture changed from 2018 to 2019. Um, Still... Though I'd say that you can use all of that to highlight a few storm clouds for the Buckeyes heading into this season. So on the defensive line, Sam said it right off the top, and if you watched college football last year, um, things obviously start with Chase Young. So much was made this past season about Larry Johnson Sr.'s contribution, Sr.'s contributions as a coach on the defensive line. But I would submit that Johnson was around the year before as well, and so was Young. 
So this isn't a knock on Johnson, but I would say that the departure of Urban and all of his drama combined with the hiring of a defensive line focused defensive coordinator in Madison absolutely turbocharged Young. So keep in mind that the year before, Young and Draymond Jones combined for 19 sacks. That's the year we played them in the Big Ten Championship game. In 2019, Young basically replaced Draymond Jones' production by himself. He put up 16 and a half sacks and 21 tackles for loss. And those numbers don't really capture it because he was double teamed the entire year and at times triple teamed with a back. And by the second half of the year, just his presence on the field was such a force that he basically created the impression that the Buckeyes had this dominant defensive line, and they really didn't. Uh, After Young, no other Ohio State player had more than six sacks. And keep in mind, that's with him getting doubled on every snap. So that's a big thing to keep in mind, because Ohio State turns over most of its defensive line obviously including Chase Young. So Madison and Johnson were able to totally unlock Young last year, but they didn't exactly unlock anybody else. So in terms of the names that you'd be looking at this year, it starts with, and sadly, like this is going to be a theme over our next couple pods, a major former Northwestern target. Um, In this case, it would be Zach Harrison, um, who is arguably going to anchor the defensive line at end this year. And the other guy would be Tyreek Smith. So these two guys combined, kind of rotating in with last year's unit, for six and a half sacks and ten tackles for loss last year, we can probably assume that one or both of these guys is going to take a big leap this year. But it's hard to imagine we're going to see anything close to Young's production. I mean, that kind of lightning just doesn't strike that often. But... If you make the argument that Johnson and Madison were locked in on getting the most out of Young, and that's where their emphasis was last year, and those two guys who are as good of a tandem of defensive line coaches as you're going to get on any team in the country, and they're redirecting their full focus on Harrison, Smith, and all the other big star talent waiting in the wings, like, this defensive line is going to be Young, but it could still do a lot here. So, linebacker really continues to be an amusing position for the Buckeyes. Um, Tough Borland and Pete Werner are viewed as upper echelon players in the Big Ten because I guess they wear Buckeyes uniforms. (laughs) Um, This has been like a theme for several years now, and I'm just flummoxed by it. Um, We talked last year about the open secret that Ohio State wasn't bringing a heck of a lot to the table at linebacker. And... As we mentioned earlier, Al Washington came in from Michigan, definitely did his bit to help the culture change here. Um, But the way he changed linebacker culture doesn't exactly bode well for Ohio State in 2020. So under Washington, Malik Harrison absolutely exploded. He put up 16 and a half tackles for loss, and now he's in the NFL. And the other two guys, Tough Borland and Pete Werner, did it. They were pretty much the exact same guys they were the year before. And those two guys are back yet again. The third guy is going to be Baron Browning, who is a big recruit and is almost certainly a far superior player to those guys, filling in the third spot. So you can expect probably a great year from Browning um, and more of the mediocre same from Werner and Borland. 
um, as all these monster recruits at Ohio State at linebacker get really mad that they aren't playing more. Um, But now we get to the real issue for Ohio State. And this is the thing to keep in mind when everyone talks Chase Young, Chase Young, Chase Young. It's the secondary. Because while all eyes were on Young last year, the secondary was easily Ohio State's best position group. Um, While everyone was talking about Madison and Washington uh, as those coaching hires because they came over from Michigan, Jeff Halfley was easily the impact hire of the season. Um, Because the book on Ohio State's secondary, we talked about it at length last year, was that they had this ludicrous amount of five-star talent. As many as, what, three five-star corners last year not started. Um, and that this big group had this record for underperforming that went over a couple of years. And that just stopped dead in 2019. Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, and Jordan Fuller didn't have flashy stats. They were just better than that. If you watched them on the field, they totally locked down opposing receivers. Um, guys didn't catch passes. There were no mistakes. No blown coverages, all the things that had nipped Ohio State for a couple of years, and then two first round draft picks in Akuda and Arnett. So now, not only are all three of those guys, Akuda, Arnett, and Fuller, gone, but Halfley is gone too. He is Boston College's new head coach. And um, so we're kind of turning things over again. Sean Wade, who is a major recruit, as most Ohio State guys are, um, who was solid last year, he's back. And there remains, just like we talked about last year, a stupid amount of recruiting talent in the secondary. But remember, that hasn't been the problem for Ohio State. The problem is sloppy play. And losing Halfley, three starters, and having another cornerback, Amir Reap, kicked off the team is not good news. And this is probably the weak spot in this defense and the place where if there is going to be a drop-off, that's where you're going to see it. So... This team has the right culture in place in the front seven. Um, But even though Ohio State fielded the Big Ten's number one total defense, scoring defense, and pass defense last year, it feels like this unit is definitely worse than it was last year. Um, But they're probably not going to drop off that much. You still have Day. You still have Madison. um, And I think you still have Larry Johnson. If they don't drop, let's say, lower than third in the conference in defense, which is possible, um, then we really know that Day is building a juggernaut in Columbus. Speaking of juggernauts, uh, Scuzz, let's talk about the offense. Um, J.K. Dobbins gone, but Justin Fields, do we really have to say much more? No, you really don't. John, I, I was I was very intrigued to hear what you were going to say about Ohio State's defense, just knowing all the names that had departed. I'd forgotten about Halfley, the coach uh, going to Boston College, et cetera. But here's the deal: like that defense could give up like an extra 25 points a game next year. I don't think it matters. The offense scored 47 points per game in 2019. They were clear of the next best big team, Big Ten team, by a touchdown and a field goal. <laughs> And I think they're going to be better in 2020. I mean, the reality is, is that this offense is, and this team are, are the dominant force in the big 10 until proven otherwise. Um, last year was, there were a lot of question marks. Um, Ohio state's offensive line had not looked particularly good in 2018. I, I cited in our, in our preseason preview that their advanced stats basically 
weren't as good as Indiana's offensive line. Justin Fields was essentially an unknown commodity, right? High-end talent coming from Georgia, hadn't played a ton there, showed questionable decision-making on the field at Georgia in the limited time he had gotten. We just weren't sure what was going to happen. Ryan Day, uh, a guy who had you know had a fair amount of success as co-OC and as interim head coach in 2018, but we just we weren't sure what was a product of him, what was a product of Kevin Wilson, what was a product of of Urban Meyer, etc. And last year, all of this was far better than advertised. Uh, I'm going to start with the offensive line. They leapt up in performance. Justin Fields had more time to throw last year than any QB in all of college football other than Jalen Hurts. And Jalen Hurts played against Big 12 defenses. Uh, The offensive line was spectacular. And they bring back three of their best players. They are super solid here. They still have opportunity to improve on the sack rate. And if you think about a new QB, a mobile QB in Fields, um, he could probably have been better about about getting, getting the ball out faster. But, like, there's room for them to grow and get even better in 2020. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to Fields later. I'm gonna focus first on you know they lose a lot of production at wide receiver and running back, but they are totally stacked underneath. You mentioned before JT J, J.K. Dobbins is gone, Sam. Like, name me a year in which Ohio State lost an awesome running back and didn't replace it with another awesome running back. Um. They're Can't be, off the top of my head, no. Yeah, they're, they're going to be just fine. Interestingly, um, I Bill Connolly uh, shared some stats in his offseason previews around um, returning personnel and what it means in terms of, you know, he did some regression analysis in terms of what those returning personnel mean for performance the next season. He basically found that running back yards returning are the least predictive indicator, the idea being that running running yards are pretty easy to replace especially at a school like Ohio State that has just, a, you know, a bevy of guys in the room that are ready to carry the rock. Uh, wide receiver is interesting because they lose um, they lose a couple of, of, of really good players. Benjamin Victor, in particular, who um, averaged, uh, I think was their leading receiver in terms of average uh, yards per catch two years ago. Uh, last year, he was eclipsed by Chris Olave. In that in that spot, but still was pretty good at 16 and a half yards per yards per, per catch. But um, Olave, I think for me is is possibly the best receiver in the conference. Um, there's some guys at Purdue that might you know give him a run for his money, but he's incredible. Uh, Victor is gone. Victor's a guy you know w- when when he came on the scene at Ohio State three three four years ago, I had theorized that he was the type of player that could unlock some of the, just the awesome downfield passing that we saw from Ohio state back in the 2013, 2014, 2015 time periods. Um, and it didn't ever really happen until, uh, the last couple of years, like his first couple seasons, he, he just couldn't break through. And, and some of this I'll, I'll talk about, about more when we get to the quarterbacks, but basically until 18 and 19, Ohio state has struggled to throw the ball deep for, you know, four or five years. And, you know, Victor was good. I don't think he ever quite lived up to the talent. Garrett Wilson is the guy who's going to replace him in the lineup next year as a starter. And Garrett Wilson looked incredible as a freshman. This guy is is it jumps off the page. And then they're adding Julian Fleming, the number one wide receiver in the country as a true freshman who's coming in. 
like this, there's four or five other guys that got decent playing time. They're all high-end recruits. Like it's, it's, it's ridiculous. The amount of talent that Ohio state has at the skill positions, but more than anything, like for me, this whole team comes down to scheme and quarterback. And so when I think about scheme, like last year, my big question was Ryan day. He did awesome things while Meyer was suspended in 2018 Particularly, he threw the shit out of the ball with Dwayne Haskins instead of choosing a running quarterback and running that quarterback into the ground. Case in point, in four years as a starter, and yes, I know he was injured at times, but JT Barrett maxed out at like 373 attempts throwing the ball. Dwayne Haskins had more completions than 373 in his one year as a starter at Ohio State. He had like 385 completions. He attempted 533 passes. He threw 50 touchdowns. It was the best season I have ever seen in my lifetime from an Ohio State quarterback. Maybe Joe Germain in 96. I don't know. I wasn't paying that close attention back then. But it was incredible. Fields last year was better. He didn't throw the ball as often. He only attempted 350 passes. His completion percentage was a little bit lower, 67% versus 70. But... Somehow he was more efficient. His his touchdown rate was was higher. His pick rate was lower. By some miracle, because you, like you know that Haskins just bombed the hell out of the ball. By some miracle, Fields had a higher yards per attempt rate than than Haskins. It's not by a ton. And when you do like an adjusted yards per attempt, where where you basically give cr- additional credit for touchdowns and take away points for for picks, um, Fields' number dwarfs. Haskins. Uh, and let's remember that Haskins threw 50 touchdowns and eight picks. I mean, he was about as close to a perfect QB as you could be. And Fields was, was better. Oh, by the way, Fields also has a dynamic element that he has with his legs in terms of he ran for 500 yards last year. He was incredible. He was a, a fraction of a penny away from beating Clemson and going to the national championship game. I mean, I think this is something that's been lost predominantly because of how how much Ohio State has been dominated in past instances of, of, of the college football playoff, namely getting shut out by Clemson. Um, what was that? Three, two or three years prior. If, if crystal Lave doesn't break off his route and, and go left and instead carries through with the route and goes right. I think field hits him in the end zone for a touchdown with 37 seconds left to go up on, on Clemson. Now that's no guarantee that they win, but like that team was so good and they were so close. I think they still probably lose to LSU, but I just, I think that that's been forgotten a little bit in the whole, like knocked out in the first round of the playoff again. But, but the big, the big takeaway from her here is that in addition to fields, just being the man, uh, Ryan day can really coach. He understands modern offense. He understands what he has in fields. He and Kevin Wilson have worked spectacularly well together. Um, in two seasons now, you know, going through what they went through in, in 18 with with Meyer, et cetera. I mean, th- think about the four years prior, like Urban Meyer and Ed Warner were getting lambasted for basically running JT Barrett into the ground every game. They, I mean, they ran him so often. You think about prior quarterbacks um, and, and th- that same that same situation. I mean, how often it's the big slow clap, take the shotgun, fake the handoff, 
look at look at maybe one receiver, two receivers, and then run. And I totally appreciate that the talent of the quarterback is is a factor here. Like Barrett really struggled with his completion percentage and and his comfort in the pocket after his freshman year. But the the effect of the coaching staffs and the change in the coaching staffs and and the scheme I think has been massive because because. Urban Meyer made his whole career on his spread offense and his approach to getting the ball to players in space and letting them run, but it was generally short. He wasn't a big attack downfield type of guy. And Tom Herman changed that a little bit in 2015 when they won the national championship. And that has really changed in the last two years with what we've seen from this offense. And I just like, Imagine what these guys could do in year two. Frankly, the only thing that's going to slow them down is the coronavirus and whatever practice that they haven't been able to, to, to get to. Well, and, you know, the, speaking of, um, I know they just had to halt uh, voluntary workouts uh, at Ohio State uh, in the, within the last couple of days um, due to uh, an outbreak. But that's, uh, you know, we'll talk about that further down the road. Now is typically the point in the pod that, I'd run through their schedule, but as we mentioned before, we don't know what the schedule is. So, uh, um, let's, uh, yeah, let, let's talk about how they stack up in the East because, you know, I think regardless of what happens, um, you know, they will play everyone else in the East. And, I, you know, Penn State is going to be solid. Um, they, have, they have to play at Penn, they have to play at Penn State. Maybe. Oh, dude, dude, maybe. Yeah. Well, so, so. It's kind of up in the air, right? Let's let's assume let's assume that the inter, that the interdivision stuff plays out like normal. I think I think that's probably likely to happen. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, it it feels like whatever algorithm they use to assign Big Ten schedules, like that should that should work out pretty pretty well, just fine. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's like basic logic too. It's like if, like, let's say Ohio State had to go to Michigan two years in a row, there'd be like a riot. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> when if Penn State had to go to Ohio State two years in a row, right? Two two years in a row. I mean, I think they're going to be very cautious about about that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, especially with the big name teams, right? Like, you could see a scenario where like Northwestern or Illinois kind of got, you know, shoehorned into into two years in a row, but. Um, in fact, I think there was a time where we played at Iowa two years consecutively. So that, I mean, that stuff happens, but I, I don't think they're going to allow that to happen with the big three. So with that in mind, they would they would travel to Penn State, but they would host Michigan. Um, if that carries forward to the rest of the of the of their division, they would play at Michigan State, they would host Indiana, and then they would be at Maryland and host Rutgers, which, like, who cares? Um, but I just, like... I mean, I mean, maybe Penn State, because that's always a tight game, especially when it's in Happy Valley. But shit, none of these other teams can hold a candle to Ohio State right now. I mean, I think this is either the best or the second best team in the country. I mean, I yeah, they're, yeah, agreed. This this team, it's national title game or bust for this team. I mean, what I was talking about with their defense, I think. There are, I would expect that this defense is going to fall off simply because they lose Young, they lose all that talent in the secondary, and they lose Halfley to Boston, Halfley to Boston College. But one thing that I think I'm drumming home and Scuzz is really drumming home too is like, this is the best collection of coaches you're ever going to see. Oh, yeah. On a team, even with Halfley gone. Um, the coaching these guys are getting on both sides of the ball. So you're not going to see that much of a drop-off. And again, if a guy like Harrison 
on the defensive line and a guy like Baron Browning on you know in the linebacker core take these mega leaps, which is entirely possible. Um, Ohio State's still going to have a very good defense, and as Scuzz said right off the top, like they don't need a very good defense; they just need like a competent defense, and they're going to get better than that. So again, it's just like it's hard to look even. I mean, right? If they're on the road to Penn State, that's the big one. Um, but if you look at, I mean, a lot of their conference as it as it exists, it's just going to take such a Herculean effort for another team to stay with them. Um, and you you look at the normal, you know, the normal um, cast of characters, you know, that you'd be circling, and it would be um, Michigan and um, Penn State. They get Michigan at home, and I just, I mean, Penn State certainly is going to bring their absolute A game um, at home, you know, and it's that's going to be a monster game. I just don't know that they have the ponies. Um, Ryan Day could coach circles around James Franklin and yeah, his yeah. sleep. Yes, yep. that is true. And, you know, for the record, I mean, we love these Titanic matchups. I'm sure they were salivating over it, but, like, they don't have to go on the road to Oregon um, for whatever that's worth. Um, and, you know, which, again... Which is a shame. That, I, was, I was really looking forward to that. For that sure. Been, that would have been a hell of a test for them. Right. And, I mean, and but, I mean, you know, they're, they ought to be considerably better than Oregon. So, but, with that said, like, I think their um their heads and tails above everybody else and regardless of going on the road to penn state i just think like scuzz said this offense is so flipping good and their defense is probably going to be excellent and honestly again could exceed my own expectations because the quality of the coaching is so good um and you know if all these things click yeah i mean they they should be going they should be thinking 10 and 0 in this revised big 10 schedule and then on to the playoff well, well, in worst mm. worst case, from a crossover standpoint, they could get sent to Madison, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he, so here's an interesting thing. Like I've been thinking about this. Like if you were to rank Big Ten teams based on like how important their uh, their home field advantage is and how much of that home field advantage is driven from fans, mm. I would put Penn State and Wisconsin at the top of that list. Absolutely. That's yeah. a great, I, would, I would not put Ohio State number one. You make a great point. Like if if like Penn State sorely needs that whiteout against the Buckeyes and they are not going to have it. And yeah. right, it's it's a big factor for sure. Yeah, Ohio State doesn't. Ohio State just needs to show up with the talent that they have. They can play on the moon with this team, and they're going to be fine. Well, well, and I have to say, like Fields as a Fields really, I, I, I can't I can't remember what made me think this during the course of the season last year, but I, I distinctly remember talking about it. Like his leadership at Ohio State was palpable, right? Like I, I maybe it was I, I think maybe it was um, at some point in the year people were talking about him as Heisman or this or that and other thing, and he just he just kind of put like put the kibosh on it and said like, listen, I like I am here to help this team win a national championship. That is all that matters. And clearly put Ohio state and the team ahead of his pedigree and his performance and, um, and did so very vocally and, and instinctively. And I just, I think that like he exuded some leadership qualities that, that you could see being just extremely beneficial from your quarterback in whatever environment we're going to have this fall, which is going to be weird and goofy. And to have him setting the tone for that team 
certainly on offense. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of invaluable. Yeah, we're going to get into a lot of the rest of the Big Ten landscape, obviously, as we get through a lot of our previews. But, I mean, this there aren't many teams that more want to be able to play a college football season than Ohio State this year because yeah. this feels like their year. Um, and, you know, they're they're – they're already eyeing Trevor Lawrence and being like, just get us to that game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we will see. Um, I mean, like, what's interesting to think about that LSU team last year was like a team of destiny. When you de- when you dig through, like, all the advanced stats and all the metrics and all that sort of stuff, like, most people had Ohio State right up there with them in terms of uh, the ability to go toe to toe, and 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 I mean, you saw what LSU was able to do to Clemson once they once they got settled and got their hooks in and kind of figured out what was going on, and you like thinking about this year, I don't think Clemson is any better than they were last season. Like maybe they're a little bit more seasoned on defense. Um, LSU certainly drops off a lot. You've always got, you know, Oklahoma, which is interesting. And, you know, people are Bama. talking about Texas, Bama, obviously. But, um, but man, like, 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 this is one of those years where you look at Ohio State top to bottom and there is no question that they can go toe-to-toe with anyone. Um, and might be even be better than most of them. I mean, they, they did last year and, you know, almost got past Clemson. I would, I would have been really interested to see – what an LSU Ohio State uh, national championship game would have looked like. There was just such a narrative going into the playoff about that was driven by the prior year of Ohio State getting waxed by Clemson, or two years prior. I forget what it was, but there was just such a narrative around that. And like, does Ohio State belong? You know, um, and I, I, if if I recall, they were undefeated, right? Um, so there was no no they they had the uh I the, was it the Purdue loss oh the Purdue loss that's right that's right that's right no so there was some question about whether they should be in or Alabama should be in and um some of that th- there was a lot of debate about that right and then yeah there was this kind of like oh they're just gonna get you know beat up again by Clemson and I think like they came so close which changed a lot of hearts and minds but because they didn't actually win I think it was very easy to lean on the prior narrative instead of what actually happened in that semifinal game. And so I I mean, I like, I just, I I think when you reflexively look, look back on last year and and you're not like digging in or thinking about it. Right. I think it's very easy to be like, ah, well, Ohio state, you know, same, same thing as usual, right. Dominate the big 10, destroy Michigan, go to the playoff, lose. And that's not the complete picture. And I agree with you, Sam, like, I, like, in retrospect, I totally want to see the Ohio State LSU matchup from last year. I just like in the moment, I didn't think it was plausible. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not saying it would be any different. I mean, LSU was off the charts last year. They were amazing, and you know, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, "Oh yeah, Ohio State would have given a, a better game." I just wanted. I just wanted to see it. I mean, I, I was happy to see Clemson there too. I mean, that was a, an interesting game for a while. But I, you know. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think Scuzz's point earlier, a Wisconsin, if Wisconsin was added as a crossover game, strictly on the strength of that defense, that presents a real roadblock from them. But 
There are just no other teams, including Wisconsin, who are complete at the level that Ohio State is. Jack Cohn ain't gonna tear up this yeah, defense. Yeah, no, no. So again, I you know, it's feels like their year. Feels like they're gonna get through, feels like they're gonna play in the national title. Um, you know, we'll get through, but you know, it it would be it would be nice if this was not the team added to our crossover slate. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and leave the Buckeyes there. Um, you know, if we need to come back and revisit any pieces of it with new information as it uh, develops, we will go ahead and do that. But uh, that'll just about do it for us tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave questions and comments. Uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates, And you can always email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the West Lawn Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.